0: would be dismissed for Children's Church with Miss Diana and Miss Steph. And so we bless the, the children as they head off to Children's Church this morning. And I invite you to open a Bible, if you have one, um, to the book of Matthew, where we continue to look at this series on kingdom counterculture and the Sermon on the Mount as we walk through the book of Matthew. Uh, Today, we look at two topics, divorce and oaths. Uh, It's deeper this morning than just the idea of divorce and just the idea of oaths this morning. And so, um, if you are newer to our church, or you're just newer to figuring out what you think about Jesus, what you think about Christianity, uh, we just want you to know that, that we really honor, we seek to honor and lift up and we really are about the person of Jesus. And we honor him, we hail him as king, we believe that he is the good news for all people and that in Jesus, in Jesus alone salvation is found and that can sound like an exclusive thing but it really is an inclusive thing because everyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. And we really believe that strongly. And so we want to be people who are worshiping Jesus and out of that being about sharing Jesus with others so that uh, they can find the life that he has blessed us with. And so we want to be about that. We also, because we are big about Jesus and we love him and we honor him and we hail him as king, we also uh, look into his word to hear from him. And because he is so good, we believe that his words have the way of life in it. And we believe that even in hard teachings, even in things that are difficult to hear and may not line up with what we hear every day in the world around us and life around us, uh, that it really is the way to life. And so as we honor Jesus, we honor his, wor- his ways and his teachings, uh, believing that in him and in his teachings are life and life abundant. So as we launch into that this morning... Um, just felt led to, to share that for a moment as we look at divorce and oaths. I invite you to follow along as I would read for us the passage that we'll be looking at, Matthew chapter five, verses 31 through 37, which says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, For you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. May the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word. Booker T. Washington describes meeting an ex-slave from Virginia in his book, Up from Slavery. As he describes it, he says that I found that this man, this former slave, had made a contract with his master two or three years prior to the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation that freed all slaves. To the effect that the slave was permitted in that agreement that he had made with his owner those two or three years before the Emancipation Proclamation that he had arranged to buy himself back By paying so much per year for his body and for his life. And while he was paying for himself, he was permitted to find work wherever and whomever he wanted to. So finding that he could find better wages in the north in Ohio, he had made his way to Ohio and had found work there. And when freedom came in the form of the Emancipation Proclamation, he was still in debt to his master some $300. So think about this, the late 1800s, $300. That's a lot of money at that time. Notwithstanding the whole reality of freedom from the Emancipation Proclamation that had freed him from any obligation to his master, this man walked the greater portion of the distance back to where his old master lived in Virginia and placed the last dollar with interest in his former slave owner's hands. And this man talking to Booker T. Washington, the man told him that he knew, he knew that he did not have to pay his debt, but that he had given his word to his master and up to that point in his life could not remember a time when he had broken his word and wanted to remain committed to that. This man said that he felt that he could not enjoy his freedom until he had fulfilled his promise. That's a powerful example, isn't it? Especially in a day when increasingly a person's word does not mean what it used to. I I remember hearing stories from my grandparents about how contracts were as simple as a shake of the hand. Nothing had to be read. If you shook on it, if you gave your word, that was as good as gold. That was was a binding contract. Today we live in a world where loopholes... Are looked for in legal contracts to find ways to get out of paying them. Where companies will advertise a price, but when you get the actual bill, you find in the very small print all these extra fees that you had no idea you were agreeing to pay when you signed on. We live in a day where politicians seem to say whatever will get them elected. And we live in a day where news outlets will twist the facts to fit their narratives. We live in a time that it is becoming harder and harder to trust what is said. Our word doesn't mean as much. And in this environment, the words of Jesus regarding divorce and oaths are especially important for us today as followers of Jesus. And if today you're seeking to figure out what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, well, this is part of what it means if you hail him as king, that we become people who even when it is difficult, we do what we say we will do. Two areas that Jesus talks about this, and they are the areas of divorce and oaths. There are sermon notes that are in your bulletin if you want to fill in the couple fill-ins there and then extra notes on the screen if you want to take those. But verses 31 to 32 has this teaching that I read just a few moments ago. But if you would turn to Matthew chapter 19, if you're in Matthew chapter 5 already, just a few pages back to Matthew 19, there is another account that Jesus has Uh, that Matthew records that Jesus has in this teaching about marriage and divorce. And so to really get a a full understanding of Jesus' thought when it comes to divorce, it's helpful for us to also understand Matthew 19. So that's where we want to spend a few moments this morning with this idea of staying committed in marriage. Staying committed in marriage from Matthew 5, 31 and 32 and Matthew 19, 3 through 9. In Matthew 19, beginning in verse 3, it says this. Some Pharisees came to him, and this is Jesus, to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? There was a debate going on in the time of Jesus, historians tell us, specifically Jewish historians tell us, among the rabbis as to what permitted divorce. Because Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, Moses gives guidelines for what this might look like. And and he says, if a woman becomes displeasing to man, or to a man, because of something indecent that he finds with her, and then he goes on and gives a bunch of ifs of what it looks like for divorce. And so it's kind of an unclear passage. It's kind of hard to understand what really are the guidelines there because it was specific to that time and to that place, it seems. But there are a lot of ifs, 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 ifs. ifs, And so the Jewish rabbis of the day would debate it. And there were two big schools of, of thought. One was under the Rabbi Shammai. And Rabbi Shammai had a very strict interpretation. It was very limited to marital unfaithfulness, a sexual relationship outside of the context of marriage, of what was indecent. But there was another rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, who had a very lax interpretation. And he would go, and his followers believed that any and all reasons were acceptable. If, as uh, as the marriage continued on, if the man decided, I'm not really liking how she looks, he could divorce her. If she said something to her that he didn't really like, he could divorce her. If he began to not like the way she cooked, he could divorce her. If anything that came up that he didn't like, emphasis on the man he didn't like, Rabbi Hillel believed that that was grounds for inappropriate or something displeasing and indecent. And so basically any reason counted in their idea. And so when they come, the Pharisees come to Jesus. They want to bring him into this whole debate. Kind of reminds me of a pastor that's been influential in my life who had a woman come to him. And say in the midst of a difficult marriage relationship, I want to understand about divorce. Can you talk to me, Pastor, about divorce? And he began to kind of unpack it and recognizing that there were difficulties, what is marital unfaithfulness, all these kinds of things, and he laid out, this is what I think. And by the time he was done, this woman simply looked at him and said, thank you, Pastor, but I really don't want to know what you think. I want to know what God thinks. And he stepped back and he said, oh, That's a good way to look at it. And really, Jesus is being asked in this testing, he's being asked, what does he say God thinks? And so Jesus, instead of focusing on divorce, Jesus instead makes marriage the focus. The Pharisees come to test him. They want to know what makes divorce lawful. And notice in verses 4, through six. Jesus flips the script. He says this, Matthew 19.4, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator, God, made them male and female, which is Genesis 1.27, and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. The Pharisees focus on divorce, but Jesus focuses on marriage saying that marriage is intended to be between a male and a female, a man and a woman, as they leave their families behind to become one, being united together, becoming one flesh, where their lives, physically, emotionally, spiritually, become united together, and that this is not something that even I, as a clergy person, as a pastor, do, even though I may officiate a wedding. It is ultimately God who does it. God oversees this. It is the presence of God who authorizes this in Jesus' description of marriage and he unites them together to where they become one flesh. And so if God unites them together and they become one flesh, he says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. This is Jesus' focus, not on divorce, but on marriage. As I was preparing for this message this week, I I learned a new word. And that new word is inosculation. I'm sure you all have heard of this. Inosculation. Drew's heard of it. He's shaking his head. (laughs) Inosculation. Inosculation is when two individual trees become morphed and joined together. So I've got two pictures. You see two trees, and they become morphed, or they become joined together. These two became so close together, they joined together. There are some pictures of trees where they actually are close together, and they become so entwined with one another, you see the base, but after that, they look like one tree growing up. And what happens is, for some reason, maybe these bran- they have a branch that begins to grow off, they're, they're side by side, they're close in proximity, and one shoots a branch over, and as it shoots that branch over, it runs into the next tree and begins to rub the bark off. And trees have this amazing quality where when the bark gets rubbed off and it it becomes damaged, it has this healing process built into it genetically. Somehow, I think we know God did this. And it starts to form this callus. And this callus, along with whatever the sticky substance, whether if it's a pine tree, it's sap, it begins to form around this as this callus is formed. And all of a sudden, before you know it, the fibers and the grains of the tree coming across begin to morph together with the tree that is there, and they begin to become united. And scientists call this an osculation. You learn something new every day. One scientist by the name of Henry Baldwin in 1938 said this, true graphs, and these are not man-made graphs, these are naturally occurring graphs of inosculated trees. He says this, they, complete, they are a complete union of conductive tissues so that the start of the connection is obscured. In other words, you don't know over time as this process takes place, you don't know where one tree is ends and the other begins because they just morph together. They become one tree. Scientists are still trying to figure out if the genetics of the tree actually begin to change over time. And they haven't ruled out that possibility that they may get so commingled together that the genetics of the two trees become one. I think that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about lives becoming so connected to one another that the fibrous beings physically, emotionally, spiritually become interconnected where over time it's no longer two but it's one. One flesh. Marriage intentionally brings two together. So while the Pharisees focused on divorce. Jesus focused on marriage. They ask a question then in verses 7 and 8. You can kind of, kind of hear them saying, well, okay, if that's true then, Jesus, why then did Moses command then a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. To which Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to, vo- to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. The Pharisees ask, why did Moses command? And that's an interesting word phrase that they use because if you read Deuteronomy 24, there is no mention of commanding. <laughs> they had kind of twisted this thing over time to make this now not just a concession, but to make this a command that this is what Moses said to do. In the midst of all the ifs, there's not a command. And Jesus replied that it was a permission or concession by God through Moses because their hearts were spiritually hard. And Jesus reminds them that this is not the way it was. All of this in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that Jesus is reminding them of of what marriage was like at the beginning was before sin came into the world at the fall. A divorce is God's concession when there is sin, when the brokenness of this world enters. Which means this. A divorce is a serious matter. Verse nine. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. If you go back again to Matthew chapter 5, you see Jesus is teaching on divorce specifically, but it's why we looked at Matthew 19 to get the fuller picture. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's a tough teaching. Jesus is saying that divorce produces an adulterer and an adulteress if remarried because in God's eyes they're still married. The only exception is if one person in that marital unfaithfulness commits adultery. Then the other is free to divorce and remarry because the oneness the oneness has already been broken apart. So friends, as I stand here this morning, I recognize that this is an extremely difficult, an extremely painful topic. Because for some here today, divorce isn't just two verses in Matthew chapter five. Divorce is real life. Divorce is is pain that has come. For some here today, you've been on the end where a partner has been unfaithful. And you've walked that road of what it means to figure out, what do I do with this? What do I do with divorce? When my spouse was unfaithful to me, what do I do? Some of you here have walked through life in such a way that that you've walked through that and you've been remarried and you're here today. And God has done really cool things as a result of the way that he redeems and restores. And Some of you are in the midst of relationships that are pretty hard. And you're wondering, well, what does this look like for me? What does this look like? And so I, I stand before you as one who has never had to experience personally that pain and that difficulty. But as one who will say that, that Jesus, in the midst of the brokenness of the way sin just wrecks our world that he is a God who loves to redeem and restore and he is a God of forgiveness and he is a God who loves to put things back together. And so if t- this morning you're in that place where you're saying, I don't know where my relationship is going, I don't know where my marriage is going, I don't know where, how we're gonna get through this one. Work towards rec- reconciliation as much as possible. Get help, come out of of like trying to figure it out. If you've been trying to figure it out on your own, come out of that and, and, and bring it to other people, whether it's a, a counselor or a, a friend, another couple who would be able to say, okay, let's walk through this together. Let, let's do what you committed to each other. Let's work to make that a lifelong thing. And if you're on the other side of divorce, and man, it just is still painful, The scars are still there. Jesus stands as a healer and a reconciler. And we'd love to lead you to Jesus. Point you to people who can help walk through that. But whenever that pain comes, whenever the tearing of oneness comes, we feel the, the depth of it. We feel the seriousness of it. So this morning, if you are married or getting ready to get married or just married, <laughs> we celebrate with the Highlands on that. It's awesome. May we be people who do what we say when we stood before each other and God and those witnesses, that we would live according to that and say, yeah, we're gonna fight for this thing, even if it's difficult. That at all costs, we believe that Jesus knows the way. <laughs> that God designed it this way and we want to fight for it. We want to do it well and do what it takes as much as it's possible on you to remain married. And if you have gone through that pain of divorce, that Jesus is a God who redeems and restores and heals and that he doesn't condemn us for our past when we come to him. So in the midst of that hard topic, may we hold high how God has designed marriage, and may we seek to stay committed to one another and to him. Do what we say. Stay committed in marriage. Second part of this is the oaths. And Jesus is essentially saying, fulfill your word. Fulfill your word. Verses 33 to 37. He says again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. Jesus' teaching is pretty simple. Keep your oaths, don't break it. I don't know if I lost it all of a sudden. We can keep your oath, keep don't break your oaths. Jesus affirmed in various scriptures as we've looked through on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus affirmed specific scriptures in teaching on other topics, but here, here he affirms a summary of a variety of scriptures, though none specifically. The Old Testament is full of if you do that, if you say you're going to do it, do it. If you say you're going to do it, do it. But the point being, if you make a promise, if you make an oath, do everything you can to fulfill what has been made in those promises to the Lord. An oath is not a word that we use a lot, at least that I use a lot. Maybe you use it a lot more than I do. So it may be helpful just to know and define quickly what an oath is. An oath is a solemn promise that often invokes a divine witness, God. (laughs) And it always pertains to a future action. I swear that I will do such and such in the future and I'm gonna do this in the presence of God. Jesus acknowledges this practice. He acknowledges that this was a practice of the day, but he goes a different direction with it. He says, instead of don't just keep your promises, don't just keep it, don't break it. He says this, don't do it at all. Don't swear at all. And When we say swear, we're not talking about bad words. We're talking about swearing. I swear that I will do this. I I promise that I will do this. And he goes through several that would have been common in the day. He says, but I tell you, do not swear at all. Do not make oaths at all. Either by heaven, for that's where God's throne is. Or by the earth, for the earth is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, because that's the city of the great king. In other words, the city where the temple is, the city where God's God's presence is, the city of God. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. That's something that God oversees. And the older I get, the more I realize that I can't do much about the white and the black. (laughs) I can't even do much about the number of hairs on my head. These are God's things. They're not anything that I can control. And so what Jesus is saying, don't swear by anything. Because no matter what you swear by, no matter what you promise according to, no matter what you invoke, ultimately what, ultimately what you're doing is you are invoking God. Because if you swear by heaven, you are invoking God because that's where God is. If you swear by the earth or anything in the earth... You're swearing by God because everything is his here. If you swear by some, swear on the Holy Bible or I swear on the church or whatever it is, that's still all about God. And if I swear on my own life, that still is God because he is the one who is the author and the sustainer of my life. So no matter what, no matter what you swear by, no matter what you say, I swear on this, I swear on my children, they're still his. No matter what it is, it's always invoking god so jesus says don't do that don't waste time doing that just simply answer yes or no verse 37 simply let your yes be yes and your no No. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You hear what Jesus is saying? Saying the only reason why we swear by something is because we know our word can't be trusted. if I swear that I'm going to do this, if I have to invoke something else, it's because I know that my word can't be trusted. It's because I know the evil in my heart. I know the brokenness. I know my frailty. I know that I don't always do what I say I'm going to do. And so, if I'm trying to invoke something because I really want you to know that I'm going to do this and I have to go outside of myself, it's because I know, you know what? I don't always do what I say I'm going to do. And so, whether it's the evil of my own heart or whether it's the evil one himself tempting me, if we need to swear on something outside of ourselves, it's probably a sign that we need to deal with some stuff of our own hearts because I know that my word isn't as valuable as it should be. If we do what we say, there's no reason at all to have to swear by God at all. Our word should be enough and we should fulfill it as such. Now, Does this mean there is no possibility for failure? No. I'll tell you, I'm the first one to admit, there are many times that I say I will do something, and before I know it, I haven't done it, and it wasn't because I didn't intend to do it, because I just flat out failed. It left my mind. I got busy doing other things. Maybe there was something that was really hard about it, and I kinda let fear take over, or I'm, I let my own agenda take over, and there were times that I didn't fulfill my word. Does that mean we have to be perfect all the time in this? I think Jesus knows our human frailty, but he calls us then, when we don't fulfill our word, to come back to it when we realize, and to go to the person that we promised, and we said, this is what I'm gonna do, and say, hey, I am so sorry. I completely failed on this. I dropped the ball on this. Will you forgive me? And now how do we go about making this thing right? Because if I can do it all the, right all the time and live by my word all the time and you can live by your word all the time, then we don't need Jesus. And if you're anything like me, you need Jesus. I need Jesus. Jesus. And so may we be people, even when we fail to live up to our word, that we honor it quickly, that we confess it, we ask for forgiveness and do what we can to make it right. But may we not have to be people who our word is so low that when we really need to do something, we call out for something higher than ourselves. May our word just be enough. May our word be enough. May we do what we say. May our word be enough. We'll make one point and then we'll share a story and we'll wrap up there may be just, there is just one exception. And that is if you're called to testify and you go into the court of law and they say, put your hand on the Bible, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I think there's complete latitude in the midst of a setting like that where this is the practice of what goes on just to be able to say, sure, swear to tell the whole truth, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. I don't think we need to get legalistic about it. Oh, no, no, Jesus says that. I'm I'm gonna stand on my convictions. But it should not be that the only reason that I'm in that jury or in that witness box giving testimony is because, and I'm gonna tell the truth only because I've done this. That should not be the case. That shouldn't be the only place I actually tell my word. But may we be people of our word that that's just a formality if we're ever called to be in that spot. Let's be people who do what we say because our word is enough. Wrap up with this. Since it's Father's Day, the story of a father and a son who were having a conversation about the chores that the son needed to do around the house. He needed to cut the grass. He needed to clean his room. He needed to help his dad with a project. Now several days had gone by and the son had accomplished absolutely zero of those. And so the father called him in and Sat him down and said, Son, I asked you to cut the grass. I asked you to clean your room. And I asked you to help me with this project. And so far, you haven't done that. Why is that? And the son looked at him and he said, Well, I thought all those things were suggestions. And the father said, Son, I didn't. And the son said, I didn't know I had to do that. I thought they were just suggestions. And the father sat his son down again and said, Son, when I speak, I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. There are no suggestions. Friends, may we be people who say what we mean and who mean what we say. Then, in our marriages, that we live according to our word of what we promise to our spouse. And then in our interactions with one another in the church and outside of the church, in our families, wherever it may be, that our word is enough, that we don't have to swear on anything, that what we say is what we do. Jesus knows the way to life. And his words are meant to lead us to the best possible life. It goes against what everybody else may do. But when we hail King Jesus, we say your words are what we live by, even if everyone else is not. That's why it's counter cultural. So may the Lord bless us with grace to do what we say. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that his ways, your ways are the best. Father, I pray grace for myself and for my brothers and sisters and for willingness of heart to do what we say. For marriages to be fought for even in hard times and for marriages to display the glory of God. For interactions with one another to have integrity of word and action. And God, I pray, where there has been pain due to divorce, God, I pray for the healing of Jesus. I pray against any words of condemnation. Jesus, I thank you that you are a God and one of reconciliation and healing. And you are a God who redeems all things. And even when we fail our word in our everyday lives, thank you that your grace is enough and that you welcome us back as we confess. God, would you take these words, even in my weakness in sharing them, would what you desire to say, may that be what sticks in our hearts and in our minds so that we might be more like Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.